open with me to the book of James, chapter 4. James chapter 4, as Hunter mentioned a moment ago, we're looking at the beginning four verses of the chapter, a sermon I've entitled Passions, Prayers, and Friendships. If you're able, I invite you to stand and honor the reading of God's holy word, James chapter 4, verses 1 through 4. Hear now the written word of God. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Pray with me, please. Holy God, as we come to your word today, remove every distraction, we pray, from our minds, from this place, whether it be mental or physical, emotional, that we might focus upon the preaching of your word. Holy Spirit, draw us close unto thee. May we incline our ears and our hearts, our minds, to receive your word today. Lord, if there's one here who doesn't know Christ, we pray for their salvation For believers today, we pray that we would worship you through the preaching of your word and that you would be exalted today. Continue to mold us and shape us as you see fit. We ask all of this in Jesus' precious name. And all God's people said, amen. Please be seated. When we think back to the book of Acts, we remember the Apostle Paul and Barnabas going out on that first missionary journey to plant churches and they went to the region of Galatia and after spending some time there planting churches and preaching the word of God they left but please know before they left they taught the Galatians the pure undefiled gospel of Jesus Christ they taught them that Jesus Christ came and lived a perfect life and he went to the cross to die for our sins He was buried, he rose again, he ascended into heaven, he sent his Holy Spirit, and that he promised that we can have salvation from our sins by grace through faith in the name of Jesus Christ. And that good works are going to flow out of that relationship, and we're going to see fruit from that relationship. So he taught them this pure, undefiled gospel. But after they left, a group of people, false teachers, came into the church. They were called the Judaizers. And they began to change the things that Paul and Barnabas had taught the people of God. You know, we we've spent these last few weeks talking about the relationship between faith and works, and we've learned that works are not the root of our salvation. They're the fruit of our salvation. Well, the Judaizers turned that on its head. 
and they actually said that you're saved by your works, not simply by faith in Jesus Christ. It was a good works of you merit your own righteousness kind of way of getting to heaven. That's what they taught the, the Galatians. The Galatians believed it. They bought it. They accepted it very quickly. But the Apostle Paul found out about that. And he responded to the Galatians with a letter. We know that letter to be the book of Galatians. I want to put up some of the chapter 1 of Galatians. We're going to look at verses 6 through 10. This is what the Apostle Paul told the Galatians after he found out that they bought into this false gospel. He says, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. Now look with me at this last verse, this verse 10. This is the one I want you to see. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Friends, take a look at that bold statement in verse 10. The Apostle Paul, he knew exactly where he stood, and he was very, very upfront about his faith. And this verse teaches us that Paul was so much more concerned with what God thought about something rather than what the world thinks about something. And I want you to note that. His affection was on the things of God and not on the things of this world. You know, it would probably have been easy for Paul just to give in to peer pressure and say, you know what, just let the Judaizers say what they want to say. I did my work before. Just let them say what they want to say. I'm not going to make a big deal out of this, but he didn't. He was intentional. He was decisive. And he was not going to let the the ways of the world affect his boldness for God. You could say it this way. The Apostle Paul was refusing to be a friend of the world. He understood the words of Jesus, the words that Hunter quoted just a moment ago. When Jesus said, you can't serve two masters. You can't have one foot in with God and one foot in with the world. And friends, I want you to know that what Paul said to the Galatians and what Jesus said in the book of Matthew, that's the heartbeat of this text today in James. James is teaching us today about worldliness, that is, loving the philosophies, the methodologies, the desires, and the passions of this world. And he teaches believers today that friendship with the world is enmity with God. And James reminded those early believers, just like he's reminding us today, we can't have two masters. We've learned so much from James Practical truth for the Christian life, right? That's our theme. You boil that down, that has everything to do with lordship. 
Who's the Lord of your life? Who sits on the throne of your heart? That's the question he keeps asking over and over. Just as Paul was decisive in Galatians, just as Jesus was decisive about not serving two masters, James is challenging us to be decisive today, and he does so by looking at three points. If you have the, your bulletin, look at the back of the bulletin. Because James teaches us to be decisive by looking at passions, prayers, and friendships. Let's walk through those one at a time. First of all, passions. Going back and looking at the text, verses 1 through the beginning part of 2. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. Friends, last week when we finished the end of chapter 3, James started that text with a question. There was a question in James chapter 3, verse 13. Today he does the same thing. There's a question. What causes quarrels? What causes fights amongst you as believers So to ask a question like that presupposes something, that there was a lack of unity in the church. There was a lot of quarreling and arguing, fights going on in the church. So James asks the question, and then he dives deep to get to the root of the question. He wants to know the problem, the issue, and he tells us the issue in these verses. He says it's our worldly passions. It's our worldly desires. As Hunter mentioned a moment ago, as he read from 1 John chapter 2, there's probably no better place in the Bible that specifically describes the passions or the lusts of this world. And if you recall the things that Hunter read from 1 John 2, they were the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of in possessions. Friends, that's what the Bible calls the passions of the flesh. So with that in mind, let's walk through those three things one by one. The desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride in possessions. First of all, the desires of the flesh. Simply put, you know what that means? I must have that. A fleshly desire, someone says, I must have that in a word it's covetousness the word found in verse 2 of our text today and in this context it's wanting it's desiring something worldly godless temporal material something that is short-lived and has just sinful pleasures and james is telling the folks here in this text that's what's causing the quarrels and fights among you One commentator said it this way, the desire of the flesh is to have a life dominated by the senses. It is to be gluttonous in food, slavish in pleasure, lustful and lax in morals, selfish in the use of possessions, regardless of all spiritual values. The flesh's desire is forgetful of and blind to the commandments of God. Now, where in the Bible do we see someone saying, I must have that? Think about the rich young ruler in Matthew 19. The young man runs up to Jesus, 
wants to know what he has to do to have eternal life. They go through a discussion. Ultimately, Jesus says, go sell everything you have and give it to the poor and come and follow me. But the Bible tells us that the young man examined his possessions and he examined what Jesus said about following him and he had to decide which camp am I going to be in. And he was wrestling back and forth. But the Bible says he went away how? Sad. Because he had great wealth. He looked at his possessions, he looked at Jesus, and he looked back over here and he said, you know what? I must have that. But what the rich young ruler didn't realize, well, he, he was building his castle on what? Sinking sand. He was in love with the wrong things. He was in love with the world. You ever listen to Casting Crowns? I love that group, Casting Crowns. They came out with a song years ago. I can't even remember which song, but I remember the line from the song. It said this. They say, whoever dies with the most toys wins. But if he loses his soul, what has he gained in the end? I must have that. Covetousness, the desire of the flesh. And it led him not only to sadness of heart, but in the end, he lost a soul. He had the most toys, but he lost a soul. And friends, these are the things that lead to fights and quarrels, even sadness of heart, loss of soul, this desire of the flesh. But the second one is the desire of the eyes. The desire of the flesh says, I must have that. But the desire of the eyes says what? I must see that. I got to see it. We remember the example of King David. We've talked about David for weeks now. 2 Samuel 11. David was king. And when he should have been out at war, he was walking on the roof of his palace and he looked over and he saw a woman bathing. Bathsheba, the wife of Uriah the Hittite. And listen, David had a choice to make. He could have looked the other way and walked back in as he should have done. But what happened? His look turned to lust. Why? Because he said, I have to see that. And we know what happened. I have to see that turned into, I have to have that. The lust of the eye turned into the lust of the flesh, the desire of the flesh. We know what happened. David took Bathsheba, the powerful king, took another man's wife. And what happened in his life, it led to adultery, which led to murder, which led to the destruction of his family. Can you imagine the fights and quarrels that came in the life of David and his family from that one decision? I must see that. I must have that. And what David didn't realize as he was trying to serve God and the world was that he was building a castle on sinking sand. He was building a dysfunctional home rooted in lust, adultery, and murder because of the desires of his eyes. He took his eyes off of God and put them on the world. 
Because in his heart, he said, I must see that. I must have that. Thirdly, the pride of possessions. The flesh says, I must have that. The eyes say, I must see that. The pride of possessions, you know what that says? I'm entitled to that. I'm entitled to that. King Uzziah, 2 Chronicles 26. The Bible says he was a young man when he became king. He was 16 years old. And guess what? He did right in the sight of God. And God blessed him. He made Uzziah a mighty builder of towers and cisterns. He made him a phenomenal warrior. In fact, his fame spread all the way down to Egypt. But then you get to verse 16, and it says, And when he was strong, he became proud to his own destruction. His strength led to pride. Let me show you where pride took him. Pride took him into the temple. And he began to deal with the incense, the things that were there only for the priests. And there were many priests there that day, and they all confronted King Uzziah. They said, Uzziah, you shouldn't be here. What you're messing with, this incense, it's not for you. It's only for the priests. Uzziah, you, you need, you need to do, go do something else. And Uzziah had a decision to make. Think about that. He had a decision to make. He could humble himself do what the priest is saying, which was the God-honoring thing, and leave. Or he could press the issue. And what did he do? He pressed the issue because strength led to pride. And pride led him to entitlement. He was king. It didn't matter what these priests said. He's king. If he wants to mess with the incense, he can. Why? Because he's king. He's entitled to it. But what did God do to Uzziah that day? Read 2 Chronicles 26. God struck him with leprosy. And Uzziah, the king, had to be removed outside of the camp. He had to be quarantined because he was a leper uh, the rest of his life. Because in his heart, he said, I'm entitled to that. I'm the king. But what he didn't realize was that he was building a castle on sinking sand. He was in love with the world instead of being in love with God. Friends, the rich young rulers, I must have that. It led to sadness of heart. It led to loss of soul. David's I must see that led to adultery, murder, and a broken home that would last for years. Uzziah's I'm entitled to that it led to sickness loss of kingship and complete removal from power so the question comes home to every single one of us how have our passions led us to fighting and quarreling maybe in our homes husbands wives Has the lust of the flesh or the lust of the eyes brought on fights or quarrels in your home? Has a sense of entitlement brought fights and quarrels maybe at your job? Within your friendships? Friends, have you, like the three men mentioned in these texts today, have you tried to have two masters? When we think about the flesh, the eyes, and entitlement, 
I want you to know that those three passions, they go all the way back to the very beginning. Genesis chapter 3. Think through this with me. When the devil appealed to Eve's desire for food, that was the desire of the flesh. And she said, I must have that. When the fruit was a delight to Eve's eyes, that was the desire of the eyes. And she said, I must see that. When Eve thought the fruit would make her wise, she had pride and possessions. And she said, you know what? I'm entitled to that. I've got to have that. But the problem, friends, is that these passions, they teach us to love the world more than God. But we already have the answer. You can't have two masters, Jesus says. It only leads to selfishness, jealousy, covetousness, driving us into conflict with each other. I want to share with you a quote from one of my friends. This is uh, Pastor Tom Hawks. I know many of you know Tom. I was at Presbytery with Tom probably 15 years ago. He was talking about church planting um, in our area. And here's what he said about one of the challenges of church planting. Listen to this. He said, when we plant churches, or when we planted churches, we were so concerned with how we were going to affect the culture. We forgot to think about how the culture would affect us. Friends, as Christians, we live in this world to affect the culture for Jesus Christ. But I have a question for all of us. How is this culture affecting you? What worldly passions are causing quarrels and fights amongst you? Bottom line, we have to be decisive. We can't have a foot in with God and a foot in with the world and straddle that fence. Who sits on the throne of your heart? Who is the Lord of your life? The Apostle Paul knew who his Lord was. He wasn't interested in pleasing man. He was interested in pleasing God. Jesus said you can't have two masters. This is a call, friends. Be decisive. Put away those worldly passions for Jesus as Lord. Secondly today, James moves from passions to prayers. Look at verse the end of verse 2 and the, all of verse 3. He says, you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly and spend it on your passions. Have you ever seen the domino effect? Someone who sets up a bunch of dominoes and they knock one over and hits the next one. And, and people do that all the time now on, on big scales. It's on ESPN. You can go and watch the domino effect. Thousands and thousands of Dominoes falling down just from one being knocked down at the very beginning. So the whole logic there is that the first thing affects the second thing, affects the third thing, and on and on. I want you to know the domino effect is right here in the text. Because this text says, because these believers were caught up in their worldly passions, that's affected something. That's knocked something down in their lives. You know what it was? Their prayer life. Their Worldly passions affected their prayer lives. And James says it's affected their prayer lives in two ways. The first one is they have failed to pray. You see it in verse 2. James says, you do not ask. There's no prayer life. 
Maybe because these people who were caught up in their worldly passions felt sufficient in their passions. That their needs were taken care of so they had no thought of God and they didn't pray. And the Bible says they had not because they asked not. They were living a life of ungodliness. This is a great book. It's by Jerry Bridges. It's called Respectable Sins. What a name, huh? Respectable Sins. Well, his whole point is there's, there's no such thing as a respectable sin. But sometimes we as believers have this category of sins that we bring into our lives that maybe are not as public as other things, and we call them respectable sins. It's a great book that challenges those types of things in our lives. I want to read to you his, part of his chapter on ungodliness. Listen to this. It says, ungodliness may be defined as living one's everyday life with little or no thought of God. God's will, God's glory, or one's dependence on God. You can readily see then that someone can lead a respectable life and still be ungodly in the sense that God is essentially irrelevant in his or her life. We rub shoulders with such people every day in the course of our ordinary activities. They may be friendly, courteous, or helpful to other people, but God is not at all in their thoughts. They may even attend church for an hour or so each week and then live the remainder of the week as if God doesn't exist. They are not wicked people, but they are ungodly. Now, the sad fact is that many of us who are believers tend to live our daily lives with little or no thought of God. We may even read our Bibles and pray for a few minutes at the beginning of each day, but then we go out into the day's activities and basically live as though God doesn't exist. We seldom think of our dependence on God as our responsibility to Him. We might go for hours with no thought of God at all. In that sense, we are hardly different from our nice, decent, but unbelieving neighbor. God is not at all in his thoughts and is seldom in ours. Friends, that describes this text. A group of believers who have tried to straddle the fence and had their foot in both camps, and they're so focused on worldly passions that now they've forgotten about God because they spend no time praying. And they have not because they ask not. They don't pray. We don't pray because God is not in our thoughts. We are called, beloved, to set our affection on things above, not on things of the world. We're even called to pray without ceasing. But not only does James say there's a failure to pray, but when there is this random prayer... James says, we pray the wrong way. Look at verse 3. You ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. That means when there is a prayer, that prayer is not cast on the Lord for God's will to be done, for his kingdom to come. This prayer is focused on our worldly passions. And the Bible says in that way we're praying wrongly. Friends, about a year ago we went through the whole Lord's Prayer. And Jesus taught us how to pray. And the first thing he said for us to do was to hallow the name of God, to glorify God in our prayers. To ask for God's will to be done. To ask for God's kingdom to come. That's the purpose, friends, of prayers. Friends, one of my teachers once said this, the purpose of prayer is not simply to give God a list of our desires, but the purpose of prayer is to conform our wills to his will. 
May thy will be done. So where does it come home for you and for me? Question, are those passions affecting your prayer life? Is the lust of the flesh, the eyes, the pride of possessions, the entitlement, is that affecting your prayer life? Is there any thought of God uh, in your heart and mind on a daily basis? And when you do pray, are you praying the right way or the wrong way? Are you focusing just on your selfish passions or are we praying the way Jesus taught us to pray? Friends, it comes down to this. Who is on the throne of your hearts? Be decisive. For the last point, it's found in verse 4. Friendships. The Bible says, you adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Friends, there's some words in this verse that have vivid, vivid images. If I just say the word friendship, what does your mind think about? Your friends, right? Your, maybe your closest friends. Those are good connotations, right? Someone you're close with, someone you talk to, someone you spend a lot of time with, and they spend a lot of time with you. Friendships is a good thing. But how about this word? Adulterous. It's in the text. In the same verse... James uses adulterous and friendship. And then he uses another phrase, enmity with God. Enmity with God. Let this ring in our ears. Because according to James, for a Christian to have friendship with the world, James says it's equivalent to spiritual adultery. And we know from the Ten Commandments that God is a jealous God. The first commandment, you shall have no other gods before me, he says. So friends, when we as believers, when we live by the desires of the flesh, the eyes, the entitlement of possessions, when the world is on the throne of our hearts instead of King Jesus, we're breaking that first commandment. Because when we do, we're holding hand in hand with the world and we find ourselves at enmity with God and it's times like those brothers and sisters that we need to remember the words of Jesus Christ when he said in Matthew 6 24 we can't have two masters you will hate the one and love the other you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other we need to remember Paul's decisiveness in Galatians chapter 1 verse 10 where he was more concerned with pleasing man or pleasing God rather than pleasing man. We need to remember that when we're friends with the world it's not a God-honoring place to be and that is what causes fights. That's what causes quarrels. That's what brings an empty prayer life. That's what brings us into spiritual adultery. Friends, how do we conclude this sermon? What's the takeaway that I hope you can have today? Our takeaway is be decisive. The Bible calls us over and over, New Testament and Old Testament, make up your mind. And I encourage you to say, as for me and my house, we are going to what? Serve the Lord. The Lord Jesus Christ was certainly decisive when it came to loving us, wasn't he? 
I'm glad he wasn't wishy-washy and had a foot in both camps. I'm glad he set his face like flint toward Jerusalem. I'm glad he said things like, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. I'm glad he loved you and me to the uttermost, that he went to the cross to die for our sins, that we can be forgiven through his blood. He was absolutely committed to do the will of God, and so should we. So let me finish where we started. Remember Paul in Galatia. Remember how intentional he was about pleasing God instead of pleasing man. And it teaches us to love the things that God loves, despise the things that God hates, put aside our selfishness, our covetousness, get rid of. I have to have that. I have to see that. I'm entitled to that. And put on a prayer life that pleases him, hallowing his name, asking his will to be done, asking his kingdom to come. Because, friend, this is what it means to live under the lordship of Jesus Christ. This, indeed, is practical truth for our Christian lives. Pray with me, please.